The song Kumbaya, it has various meanings. Um, certainly, some uns uh, uh, there's a lot of different doubts and questions about where it originated and all that, but the reality is uh, it was a heart cry from people as unto the Lord. It, uh, it spread around the world. It had influence in Africa, for sure, here in the United States. It was most prevalent in the 50s and 60s when there was a stirring uh, longing for God, a fresh awareness of our need of God. Because you see, our country, uh, United States and the world, had gone through the most horrific war ever, World War II, the Great War, they called it. And um, so we had gone through that. And prior to that, we'd had what was called the Great Depression. So people were really beat down. People were hurting and they were needy. And they realized their human limitations were great, great great needs, great problems, and they cried out to a great and mighty God. And so, Kumbaya, uh, it, it very likely came from the Hebrew, and it, it really had to do with the word more than come by, was arise. They were crying out for God to arise. And yes, to come by here became a, a variation of the song, and, and very appropriately so. But for those of us in Christ, He is in us. His Spirit indwells us. And so our cry is, may God arise. May the Spirit of God well up in us, fill us, flood us, permeate our atmosphere, change our environment, change our circumstances, change our lives. So this was the heart cry of the people. And Yah was the Hebrew word for, for Lord, come by God. It was God. It was a word about God. Yahweh, we would hear that phrase in Hebrew. And so he was, those who sang the song were crying out to God. So when, when, when I began singing the song, when Lou and I did in, our, in the 60s when we were teenagers, we would sing it as, um, as was mentioned around the campfire. That was usually a time we would have retreats and, and getaways or youth would hang out at night on Saturday and we'd have a campfire and we'd sit around and we'd talk about the Lord and we'd sing various Christian songs. And one of them was Kumbaya. And because what we were doing, we didn't realize was we were crying out to God and seeking God, but not necessarily wholeheartedly and certainly not out of desperation. But then, in my life and, and, and my wife, Lou, 
1970, God did a fresh stirring in us to become desperate to know Him, not just know about Him. We had walked for 10 years. See, we met the Lord when we were both 11 years of age. So we had received the Spirit. We were born of the Spirit. We had new life. But that life was lying dormant, as it were, because we didn't even know that it could be a vibrant life, an abundant life, a full and a meaningful life. So we were in a lull, as it were. But as God began to stir in us together as we got married, we realized there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. As a young boy, I had heard my mother read me the stories from this great book, the Bible. And the stories in there did not match the stories in my life and those that I saw around me. These stories were about men and women who walked with God. They knew the Lord. They saw the life-changing difference He makes in them. And they were men and women of might and power that were world changers, earth shakers. This is who they were. And so Lou and I began to have a longing, a stirring. You see, that was in 1970. 69 and 70 and there was this stirring by the spirit and it was going on at Asbury College about that same time it was going on out in California through the Jesus revolution there was something very unusual the spirit of God was doing perhaps even in response to the heart cry that had been going on for 10 15 years from those who had been crying out to God kumbaya my lord they may have not sung the song or said those exact words but there was a seeking a longing a desperate for the Lord to intervene and to make a difference in their lives. And so in the midst of that atmosphere of God's presence and having not heard anything about any of these other places, but we had a fresh encounter with the Lord and the Spirit of God opened our eyes to know Christ as our life, not just a historical figure, not just a wonderful man that walked the earth and did miracles, but as our life, His indwelling presence and that consciousness of the Lord. That's what the Lord's presence is all about, making us conscious of who He is and what He can do. And as we began to taste of that and, and began to open up and were filled with His Spirit, and He began to transform our lives. Well, my best friend said, I've never seen anyone change so fast in six months. You're like a different person. Well, we were. We'd been transformed by the glory of God, by the grace of God, by the power of God's Spirit. That transforming work when Christ comes alive and when God arises in us, there's a liberation. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We were liberated. We were suddenly free to be ourselves in Christ. No longer did we have to try to act like Jesus or figure out what He would do if He was here. No longer were we striving to become more like Him. We had settled into a reality of the living Christ. And the revelation that Christ is my life was all transforming. So there was a revolution going on. It was a Jesus revolution. He had brought a revolution to us individually and to us corporately and, and throughout and other parts of the world. At the same time around the world on the other side was one of the great outbreaks uh, of our of the last century when, when the um, Indonesian revival broke out and people all over, over Indonesia were impacted starting in the small island of Timor. But there was a moving, a stirring, a mighty work of God going on. And so in the context of that, 
we began to realize there is life, new life in Christ. And that life is life in the Spirit, which is the focus of our study today and will be, Lord willing, for several sessions over the next year as God allows me to return and, and be a part of what you're doing here. So we're going to build from today going forward about life in the Spirit. We're going to build on that. So what's the relevance of life in the Spirit? And why would that matter to you and I? Because we, let's face it, we've got duties and responsibilities. We've got children, grandchildren. <laughs> we've got jobs. We've got bills to pay. We've got health issues. We've got challenges in life. Why in the world would life in the Spirit have any bearing on us today? Well, simply put, God is Spirit. Let's start with that. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus tells us God is spirit. So let's go to that passage in John chapter 4. And let's look at um, why this is so important for us. Life in the spirit. Why is it important? John chapter 4. We'll get there in a minute. Jesus is having a meeting and a conversation with a woman. This particular woman was uh, trying to understand who God is. And that's important. We need to accept the fact there is a God and who is this God? And how does he relate to us and how do we relate to him? And so, I would like for us to look beginning in verse 22 of John 4. And Jesus told this woman, he said, You are worshiping what you do not know. But we know what we worship, because salvation is of the Jews. He said, We're worshiping the true and living God. The God that originated with the Jewish people and going all the way back to Adam and Eve of course but moving forward from there clearly into the life of Abraham and from there forward as he had his uh, Isaac and then Jacob and on down the line it went from there with the lineage but the important thing is he goes on to say the hour is come and now is the hour is now so in other words he's saying we're in a new day in a new place there's a new a new era and we're in it here today as well. He said, this time is now. And the time is that true worshipers, that is, those who really want to know God, more importantly, knowing God means experiencing the life of God. Experiencing the difference that God makes in your life. Experiencing the change that God brings in your life. Changing your attitudes. Changing your actions. Actually changing your circumstances and those around you. He said, now if you want that kind of relationship, if you want that kind of connection with God, he says, let me tell you how it works. True worshipers worship the Father, God the Father, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. Do you know that God the Father is seeking you? (laughs) He's seeking even you little ones. He's seeking you. 
to have a relationship with Him. He's seeking you to know Him and experience His life and to worship Him. And worship is not just what we did when we were singing. Worship is a way of life, as we're going to see through this series of studies. Worship comes out of your very innermost being. It comes out of your true self, and it is your whole life as unto the Lord, living your whole life as unto the Lord. So this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying the Father seeks such those who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of people he's looking for. He's looking not for the the lip service that we offer. If you've heard that phrase, lip service, what do you what do you understand when you hear someone say that? What are they saying? Yeah, maybe what you want to hear. They, they, you know, it's all talk. Yeah, some would say you're all full of hot air. <laughs> you heard that one? <laughs> Probably somebody told you that once <laughs> or twice. <laughs> and uh, so, so we have these words, so we say these things, but but what are we really doing here? Jesus uh, in Matthew um, five eighteen, I believe it is. He said that. Um, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He was saying, he was telling the people there, he was explaining for all of us that would come after, that would read those precious words. He's saying there's more to life than just saying the right things. There's more to life than just going through the motions of singing, whether you're clapping your hands, raising your hands, sitting on your hands, it doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. He said it's, a, it's about a changed life. It's about a relationship of intimacy with the Lord, of a knowing of Him, of experiencing His presence and power, of cooperating with Him in the everyday details of life. And so going back to John 4 now, the hour is now. If you want to really know God, experience the life of God, then the, you must worship Him. You must connect with Him and relate to Him in spirit and in truth. Now, God is spirit. We're about to get that. In verse 24, Jesus said very definitively, God is spirit. What has he just told us? The essence of God's being is spirit. God is spirit. Jesus would say to Nicodemus who came one night, he would say to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? He says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you do not know God and you do not have the life of God. Because God is Spirit. And you must have, and we must have, a Spirit connection with the true and living God. And that's only possible if we're born of God's Spirit. You see, it's not enough to read about God in this precious book or memorize scriptures about God or talk about God. See, many Christians today, they they believe in God. They, they can talk about God. You and I can sing about God. But how well do we really know Him? What kind of relationship do we have with Him? What is the depth and the extent to which we interact with Him? I'm not talking about some long uh, extended prayer. That's for intercessors. And if that's your calling, good for you. But I'm talking about just the day-to-day conversation and communion with the Lord. The kind that you have when you interact with him as you're in the midst of life situations. Our grandson Thomas and I were having a conversation as we were writing here today. And 
I was asking him, well, do you have any uh, ideas or suggestions or illustrations? Now, this is how simple the life in the Spirit is. So Thomas said, well, the thing that came to his mind was there was a, a he played football, great football player, matter of fact, and, um, and we watched many of his games and to our great enjoyment, but he said on this one occasion, as they were getting ready for the game, uh, he had had to go do some other things, part of his responsibilities with the team, whatever it was, and when he came back, he said these pads that they all normally had, two pads, and there wasn't enough for him. And he said, I could have been a bully and I could have gone to one of the lower classmen because he was, I think, maybe a senior at the time. He said, I could have just taken one from them because after all, I'm the big shot. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the starting lineup. Now I get what I want. I do what I want. But he didn't do that. He had this thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But then he saw that there was extra over here because one of his friends had five and you only need two. But somehow this guy decided he would be a hog and he took five. So, so Thomas said, well, gee whiz, there's one extra there. I'll just go get his. Now, the guy was somewhere else, and when he came back, he saw that Thomas had taken his, so that guy didn't like it too good. So he kicked it really hard in the shin, like wham, yeah, sounded about that bad, only probably felt a lot worse. <laughs> and so, so Thomas immediately, of course, well, you, nobody likes when somebody does that to you, so he didn't like it. But then he had this thought. Instead of reacting and just beating the you-know-what out of the guy, he thought, I should pray. How, how brilliant is that? That's life in the Spirit. You begin to talk to the Spirit of God. And as you talk to the Spirit, as you talk to God, the Holy Spirit in you, motivating you to talk to God Almighty, He prompted Thomas, He calmed him down, cooled him down, and caused him to just chill out, as it were. And you know, if he had gotten into the fight, He told me they would have both been um, missed out on that game that night. No. Benched. <laughs> so what we used to call it. You'd be benched. That's it. You're out. But because he was sensitive to that prompting of the Spirit, he was able to pause just long enough for the Spirit to calm him down, to bring peace into that time of conflict and crisis, and allow him to do the right thing. Not because he was trained to be morally strong or something. It was just the prompting and the gentle work of the Holy Spirit moving him to respond correctly to an incorrect situation. And therefore, not only did he have peace, they played the game, they got to both play. Everything was great. So life in the Spirit is very simple and it's very practical and it's essential that we all understand it so we know how to cooperate with the Lord as we move forward. So John 4.24, God is spirit. And if you're going to have a relationship with him, you must. This is a divine imperative. You must relate to him in spirit and in truth. And again, take us back to the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. And verse 7, and Jesus saying there, you must be born again. Divine imperative. You must be born of the Spirit. So he's saying life with God is life in the Spirit. But in order to have that life, you must be born of the Spirit in order to have the life of God, the Spirit of God in you. Now when you're born of the Spirit, God's Spirit comes to indwell you. And that's possible because we've already heard and known many of us about the cross of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's possible because Jesus paved the way. He provided for us forgiveness of sin and freedom from Satan's dominion. 
so that that old evil nature can be removed from us and he can impart his new divine nature, the nature of the Spirit of God. So that now we move from being natural beings to spiritual beings and we're alive in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is about having the life of God, the very Spirit of God in us, and His life is now infused in us so that it might be lived out through us. But here's the rub for most of us as Christians. So, life in the Spirit is well and good if you're living it. Now, there's other things, and the Apostle Paul gets into this, because this was where he really camped out and spent most of his time on. But, for example, in, um, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul would say this. In verse 25, Galatians 5.25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, if you've been born of God's Spirit, that is, if you have come to Jesus and accepted His death on the cross, received your forgiveness of sin, and asked Christ to come into your life and make you a new person, His Spirit comes in, and when His Spirit enters in, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, You're now joined to the Lord. You become one spirit with the Lord. So your spirit and God's spirit are now one. His life is in you. His spirit is in you. He's indwelling you, the person of Christ. Now, Paul is saying, okay, if you live in the spirit, you should also walk in the spirit. You should walk in the spirit. So the question is, if you've been born of the spirit, if you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you have the life of God's spirit in you. You have that life. The potential is there. The presence and power of the Lord is resident in you. John 1.16 tells us, Of his fullness have all we received. We received him in his fullness. When we receive Christ, he comes in his fullness. He doesn't come as some sort of fragmented, partial, uh, periodic, occasional visitor. No, he is a permanent resident. All that Christ is, he now is in you. All that he is in you, he now wants to be through you. But that's, again, where the problem is. Are we allowing the Christ who is in, in us to be all that he wants to be through us? Are we allowing Christ to be himself in us? Are we allowing his spirit to flow through us, as Jesus said in John 7, 37 through 39, is he being allowed to flow through us as a river, a gusher of living water, a torrential flow of life-giving water? Is that life flowing in us and through us and all around us? Or is it quenched and bottled up and trapped inside? Well, again, it's possible for that life to be in us and yet not available either to us or through us if we're not allowing Jesus to be himself in us and allow his spirit to have control of us and live his life through us. So we're in Galatians 5. I just read verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Well, how is it possible for us to walk in the spirit? Well, in verse 24, he explains that. He says, they that are Christ, that is, those of us who belong to Christ... He says, if you are Christ, having received Christ, you've given your life to the Lord Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, you've asked his Holy Spirit to come into you, then you are Christ. You belong to Christ, and you have the Christ life in you. He says, now, that being the case, he says, since that's happened, 
You have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. The word crucified means put to death. So he's saying, when you received Christ, little did you know, you died with Christ. When you received Christ, Galatians 2.20 became a present tense reality. You were crucified with Christ, and at the moment of receiving Christ, you died with Christ. And were able to be raised up again, so that you can now walk in new life. You have that potential. But the, again, the tragedy is for most Christians, we're not tapping into that great resource of Christ's life in us to allow God's Spirit to work through us. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections thereof. So you can't have life in the Spirit and you can't walk in the Spirit until you've died to the flesh. But you and I as humans, not understanding that, and certainly I didn't when I was an 11-year-old boy asking Jesus into my heart. You know, I was, I was a little bit older than this guy here. Uh, how old are you? Twelve. He's 12? Well, when I was 11, that's the time when I realized I needed Jesus, that I, I had messed up my life, I had not obeyed my parents, I had gotten into trouble, and I needed Jesus in my heart. So just think about, I'm about his age, and I met the Lord. But... I didn't know what I got when I got Christ. I didn't know about the life in the Spirit. I just knew that I I was a changed boy. I had a different attitude. I didn't want to say and do the things I'd done before. Didn't want to hang out with the kids I'd hung out before. In fact, I told my dad the next week, he said, Hey, I was thinking the weather's going to be good. Let's go fishing on Sunday. I said, Dad, I don't want to go anymore. I want to go to church. What? (laughs) But you love to go fishing, son. Why in the world would you want to go to church? Well, Dad, I met Jesus, and I want to learn all I can about him. And if I go to church, I'll learn more about Jesus. And I want to be around those kind of kids, because now I realize the ones that know the Lord and want to, to grow in the Lord are the kind of people I want to spend my time with. I want to be with those kind of people. So here I am as an 11-year-old boy, and all of a sudden, my dad sees a change. My best friend came over to me, and he said, you seem different now. He said, you don't cuss like you used to. One day we were out walking around at night, and we had on these leather moccasins and no soles on the bottom, just... And we stepped in a mud puddle. Man, he began to curse and stomp around, and he got so angry because he had ruined his good moxkins. Back then, I mean, we, we didn't have a lot of clothing, you know, and getting anything nice or new was hard to come by. And boy, was he upset. And he looked over at me, and mine were all messed up too. And he says, why aren't you all cursing and angry? I said, I don't know. I said, I just don't feel like doing that kind of stuff anymore. I'm just at peace about everything. He says, what? How can this be? Six weeks later, he went to my pastor and said, I want what he's got. I want what he's got. He said, I want to be like him now. (laughs) He said, I like the way he is. He's not the way he was. He didn't get angry anymore. He didn't go and tear up. We went into uh, a new construction, being a builder back there, John. So we all went in to watch that and look around the house. And and it looked pretty nice and everything. And then this guy picked up a brick and he just started smashing the... the, um, uh, the, the thermometer, the, not the thermometer, what the thermostat. So man, he's just smashing that thermostat and busted all the pieces and he threw the brick through the window and I'm going, I'm out of here. Man, I'm out. So I took off running. I didn't hang out with him anymore. And so my other friend is going, we used to have fun tearing up stuff. You know? <laughs> when, you know and, and now you don't do it? What is this? Well, see, that's the life in the spirit. Now, I was getting a taste of something that I had no concept of, so pretty soon it faded away and I kind of lost sight of it. 
But fast forward 10 years later, and the Spirit stirred in me, and now kumbaya has come a reality. The Lord has come by here, and He's stirred in me. And now there's suddenly a longing for this life in the Spirit. And so as soon as I came alive in the Spirit, and He began to transform my life, and my best friend is saying, you've changed more in six months, all of a sudden, in our church, we ask to help out. And so we're helping the youth. I was a Sunday school teacher. They didn't have a youth leader, so I became the volunteer youth leader. So our youth group went from 15 to 45. All of a sudden, our youth are out there wanting to know the Lord. I didn't have to say, let's have a Bible study. They would come and they would knock on the door of our house. And they'd say, can we come in and have a Bible study? Can you tell us about the Lord? We want to know more about God and how Jesus is real in you so we can have that same life. They were asking us. I would tell them stories about leading somebody to the Lord at the gas station or at the college campus because I was still in college. And they said, we want you to teach us how we can know the Lord like that. We want to tell our friends about the Lord. So all of a sudden, the other football players are meeting Jesus, and all these other kids are coming alive, and the parents are seeing such a change, and they're going like, wow, our kids are so different now. And they want to sing, sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya because they know the Lord is the only one that can make that kind of difference in their life. As they already as teenagers had figured out there's more to life than this. There's got to be. Surely must be. And they had seen it in us because they had seen Christ in us by His Spirit through us. Well, it spread from there. I'm talking about real revival here. So then these, these teenagers, of course, they were being uh, excited about the Lord at school, in their homes, their parents, around their family, and the little brothers and sisters, fifth and sixth grade. They all came to me. Six or eight of them. And they said, we want you to teach us what you're teaching our big brother and sister. Because we want to know the Lord the way they know the Lord. Because we want him to do in us what he's doing in them. Can you please teach us? So I talked to my pastor and I said, look, how about if I give up the youth Sunday school class? I'll still be the youth pastor. But I'll be a teacher to these children's class. So they all come in there. And there was this one boy and he was a troublemaker. Do y'all know about troublemakers here? Do you know about troublemaker boys? So this boy, you know about them, don't you? Well, this boy was a troublemaker. So, so let me tell you about this troublemaker. So you and I can kind of talk about this, okay? So the troublemaker would, would make trouble in my class. And so I'd be trying to teach the Bible. And he'd be laughing and acting up and looking out the window. And he'd get up, walk around, and he was causing trouble. So I said, well, hey. I said, you know, you've got so much energy. I told him, I said, look, why don't you come over here and you'll be my helper today. So you sit right here, <laughs> right here in front of me. And, and then whenever I want you to read something, I'll let you, when I want to read something, I'll let you read it. So I put him in charge. And so he, he liked being in charge because he was already wanting to be the big shot. So now he's the big shot. <laughs> you know, we used to call him big man on campus. And so he was the big man on our campus. Well, the Lord 
came into his life and changed him and the other boys and girls started coming alive in Christ. And pretty soon we had 10 or 15 children that wanted to go out and tell their friends about the Lord. So like we'd get in the car and we'd drive around. And like one day we were driving down the road and they said, hey, there's our friend over there and he's playing in the front yard. Can we go tell him about Jesus? So I said, yeah, sure, but why don't y'all go by yourself this time? Because I'd been already showing them. And uh, so they went over to talk to him. And they, they said, well, look, you need to be saved. He said, oh, I've already been saved. What? You have? Well, that's great. Well, tell us about it. Because the uh, main thing you got to do is make sure they really got what they think they got. <laughs> uh, that something really happened. See, not just. So they, he started telling the story. He said, yeah. He said, one time he said, I was with my mom and I was playing in the backyard. And he says, this big poisonous snake came up and my mama saw it just as it was about to bite me. And mama took the shovel and cut his head off. And that's how I got saved. And they said, so they didn't know what to answer. So they came back to me. They said, what are we going to do about that? So I went over there with him, got the word of God out, began to explain what really being saved is all about. <laughs> that old serpent, the devil, he's the one that's trying to really get you. And Jesus cut his head off, but you got to come to Jesus so you can get saved from the devil and find new life in Christ. Well, he liked that. These, uh, these kids got so excited about Jesus, these fifth and sixth graders, they all got them a little New Testament. Because I used to have one. I'd carry it in my back pocket. That's back before we had devices. We, we had a real thing back then. We had a, it was called a book. And, and we carried our books around. And so they all had their little New Testament. They'd go around with them in their pocket. And so one day they said, well, we want to go to Dairy Queen because our friends go there for ice cream. And I said, okay, I'll buy you an ice cream and you can talk to your friends. So we went there and they had a great time. Several of their friends were having problems and different things. They prayed with them, all that. We went back uh, about a week later. They said, let's go again. So we went back there. And the owner of Dairy Queen, he says, now, he says, I'm all about you helping the kids. And I'm all about these kids talking to their friends about God and stuff like that. But he said, it's a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much. How about if you just do it outside? Okay, so we took our little party outside and we just out in the parking lot. And then from then on, we never went indoors because we didn't want to be a disruption or disrespectful. You know, you got to be careful what you do. In fact, after that, some of the teenagers came over and they said, well, now it's our turn. We want to go. So, all right. So I said, well, our buddies are playing football over in the, in the school in the lot. And so let's go over there and talk to them. We got out there and all their buddies out there and they're throwing the ball and they're running and playing. But in between plays, we walked out in the field and we said, hey, look like y'all need a rest break. Could, could y'all just pause for a minute and take a rest break? And we got something we want to tell you. And so then all these other high school friends that were friends of theirs, they started telling them how they had met Jesus or how they had let the Holy Spirit take control and fill them and how he had changed their lives. And out of the ten who were playing football, seven of them got on their knees and gave their life to Jesus that day. See, this is revival. It doesn't have to be on some massive grand scale, but it is about the Spirit of God beginning to impact an area people's lives, a region. So my brother and I, next year, we had heard there was going to have a, because of this Jesus revolution, now the Jesus movement was becoming very well known, so they had this big gathering, and all the teenagers were having, they had some Christian band come in, and, and, and so in the same town where Janis Joplin was born and raised, we had this Christian concert. And so it was outdoors, and there was about a thousand teenagers gathered. So my brother and I were, were back there, and, and I told him, I said, look, all the Christians that know the Lord, most of them are way up at the front. 
but the ones hanging out here at the back sitting in their cars or just kind of wandering around they probably don't know the Lord so I said let you and I go back and talk to them so while the group was singing and everything was you know everybody was excited of course but we were back there doing serious business and we were talking to these teenagers about Jesus and that night 17 teenagers prayed to receive Christ as we would walk around back there and several of them without us even saying a word got down on their knees and cried out to the Lord and began to weep in brokenness and repentance of their sins they met Jesus you see revival starts small with just one person somewhere who's willing to just say kumbaya Lord arise in me Lord do it in me Lord have your way with me Lord live your life through me Lord let's pray Lord Jesus we we praise you that you are real and alive you're way beyond a historical figure documented in a book called the Bible you're the living word you walk this earth so that you might walk it again in us Lord you want to arise in us that your spirit would well up in us and fill us take control of us live your life through us have your way with us be glorified in us that we might be a living sacrifice that our very being might be a praise in the earth as we walk through the earth as salt and light our lives would be a worship unto you in everything we say and do thank you Lord for this gathering together here today thank you for your presence here for where two or three are gathered you're in our midst and thank you for your presence in us that we can be walking revivals throughout the earth in Jesus name Amen, Amen.